Again, we've been looking at more love, more love, and examining what the Bible has to say for us concerning this love that the Lord talks about. 1 Corinthians 13. You know your Bibles. You know this is a very familiar portion of Scripture talking about and describing to us and really defining what true biblical love is. Now jump down to verse 4, if you will, please. Verse 4, notice what Paul says here. He says, Charity, or love, suffereth long, is kind, envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, <clears throat> doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Boy, I don't like when the Bible talks about that stuff to you. <laughs> rejoiceth not in iniquity, rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child... I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. We'll stop there for a minute. And then we see here this morning, the Bible's very clear in defining for us what's called love. Now the Bible uses the word charity and defines it that way for a reason. You know in this world, the world uses the word L-O-V-E, but when they use that term behind it, they define it as usually a physical act, right? It's not what it is. And you think about all of those songs that have been written, all talking about love. Well, they're talking about a certain thing. It's about really a physical act that's done. And when people get to a point when they feel like they fell in love, which they're referring to a feeling, aren't they? They fall in love, and lo and behold, about six, seven years into this marriage, they go, well, we fell out of love. Well, if we knew the biblical definition of what love is, we'd understand it's not a feeling, is it? It's an act. Of obedience. Now we're going to see that this morning as we studied this. I'm reminded of the young man that came home, and I think I've told this joke before, but just laugh anyways, okay? And he came home and he said, Mama, you won't believe it. I found the love of my life. She said, Great. Oh, I was worried. I didn't think you were ever going to get married. And he said, You wouldn't believe it. She's just so beautiful. She's perfect. She, she, she just does everything. And she said, Oh, great. He said, Mama, what should I do? She said, Well, son, here's what you do you invite her over and you have a nice meal together, and you get to know her. He said, great. Well, the next day she called up and said, son, how did everything go? He said, it was terrible. It was terrible. Everything fell apart. Nothing happened. She stormed out. She was so mad. She said, son, what in the world did you do? He said, well, I did everything you told me to do. I invited her over, and then he said, but she refused to cook. <laughs> Isn't that a guy? <laughs> You're not going to cook for me? You won't do that for me? Well, a little bit of a... Wrong definition of what love is. We think about today this world is seeking after something they don't even know what it is, do they? They don't know what it is. They don't know what love is. Now, thinking about this, now before we move ahead, we must understand this biblical love. Okay. Now, our English word doesn't do much good for us, so we go to the word that we use, agape, which is a Greek word, just defining what kind of love this is. It has certain qualities as described to us here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not what love is, but it's what love does. It's not what love is, but it's what love does. You ought to write that next to your, in your Bible right there. 
It's what love does, and it's what love does not do. Now, there are particularly 15 actions that are described for us here. Now, notice some of these. First, we see what true love does, and then we see what it does not do. But first, what it does, it suffers long. Verse 4, it suffers long. Now, it's patient in the context of having patience with people in particular. Uh, we tend to, let's get past that one real quick. Okay, next. It is always kind. Notice it's useful, serving, it's gracious. It's doing kind things. I appreciate so many of you in here. You just do, you do kind things. I appreciate that. It bears all things. It means to cover, support, or protect those around you. You bear things. It believes all things. In verse 7, it's not suspicious. It's always giving the benefit of the doubt, if you will. That doesn't mean being naive either. I believe anything. No, you use biblical discernment, as we've talked about before. Okay, so it uses that. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love hangs on, never gives up. It refused to take failure as final. Boy, I wish more people had that, don't you? It refuses to let it be final. I'm not going to give up. I won't fail at this. It endures all things. Love holds fast, never lets go. It bears the unbearable. It endures. It endures. Let's see what it does not. It doesn't envy. It doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt itself. It doesn't brag. It doesn't puff itself up. It's not conceited. John the Baptist said, He must increase and I will decrease or must decrease. It doesn't behave unseemly, verse 5. It, it doesn't act rudely or with poor manners. It doesn't hurt people. It doesn't seek its own. Christ came not to minister but to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life a ransom for many. That's the ultimate sacrifice. It doesn't, it's not easily provoked. Love guards against being irritated, upset, or angered. Very easily provoked in our world today. It doesn't think evil, keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It's not satisfied with sin. And it doesn't cease. I love that. Verse 8. doesn't cease. The old commandment to love one another has taken a new meaning. Okay, so we've looked at that before, but just going through that again. Those are hard things to read through and understand. But if we try, we can attain this level of biblical love. Okay, so let's look at this. It's new in emphasis, number one to, to this morning. It's love one another. It comes back to this. Now let's go to Mark chapter 12 real quick. Would you go there with me? Mark chapter 12, because I, I do want you to see this. Mark 12. We're talking this morning about that love. Well, let's see what the Lord has to say. Mark 12, verse 28. Go down there, verse 28. <clears throat> and I'm sure you've read this before. He says, and one of the, uh, the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, he emphasizes in another gospel account, he says, all the other commandments hang on these two, don't they? If we'll love the Lord like we're supposed to, and consequently and inevitably love the neighbor next to us like we're supposed to, all the other commandments fall into place. We don't have to worry about that. The adultery, the stealing, the lying, those all fall into place, don't they? Now thinking about this, we ought to see that love one another is no longer one commandment among many like it was in the Old Testament. 
That was just one. Now we're seeing a new emphasis. It's now above, above the other moral commands. It's now the fulfillment of the law, according to Romans 13 and verse 8. The fulfillment of the law. Love one another is at the beginning of the Christian life. Why is it? It contradicts our natural inclination to love ourselves. It, to, to love ourselves. But our world today is that way, isn't it? It's about my, me, myself, and I. Love myself. Take care of myself. If you grew up in this world and in the public school system, as many of you have, you realize that they teach you from a very early age to take care of yourself. Figure out yourself. Do the problem yourself, and which is a good thing. And pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and so on and so forth, which is a good thing. But we come back to realizing that we can do nothing without the Lord. And we see a natural inclination to love self, to take care of me. Now, this is a contradiction as we come to the Bible. The Bible now says, well, love the Lord and love those around you, above yourself. 1 John 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. How much violence today in this world, isn't there? Just hatred, violence. Outburst, murder, homicide. My goodness. Uh, you know, we don't go to Albuquerque. You know that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but you see that. Uh, brother back there, he was telling me, no, man, Albuquerque is rough, right? And we know that. But you think about all that, uh, the homicides that we have. I think there's one a day or something like that. One a week. Several a week, probably. You see it today. What is it? It's love of self. Most marriages fall apart. You know that because of love of self. It proves that we're saved, the Bible says. We have love above our own selves. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 and verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because why? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Now let me emphasize this. Thirdly, love and loving one another is not a mere sentiment. It is a matter of will, not emotion. Now you must remember that. Love is not a Emotion, it is a matter of the will. We make a conscious choice to love. We have to. We have to. And you think about it. We have to love out of an action. Old B.B. King, I think it was, he's saying, what, the thrill is gone, ain't it? Oh, the thrill is gone, baby. <laughs> yes, it is. You realize that very quickly. And you see it time and time again. And more Christians would understand that. I'm going to do it. Now again, we study the characters of the Bible. You go from all the way, Genesis, all the way through Revelation. You find the men and women that God used were men and women. They didn't feel like serving Christ. It wasn't always a fuzzy feeling. They were persecuted and put down and murdered. And all kinds, all that they did for the Lord, they didn't feel like it. What was it? It was an act of obedience. I'm going to do it because of the love I have for the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. As we study this this month and looking at the love of Christ, we're going to culminate here next week as we see the greatest love story ever portrayed as our Lord and Savior gave His life on the cross. Gave His life on the cross. He was a man, but He was God. We know that manifested. He did not feel like going to the cross. He was on His way to the cross. And in that garden as He prayed in that dark night, He said, Lord, if this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What was that? Was that a feeling of love? No, it was an act of the will. He took an opportunity and said, I'm going to be obedient to what it is. Now, it's a matter of action, not feeling, not feelings. 
As we see throughout Scripture, so many times a man or woman gets in trouble by their feelings. I felt like it. I felt it was the right thing. By the way, let me just remind you, you as a believer today, you're here today, I assume, because you do know the Lord and you love the Lord. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, I'd love to take time this afternoon and just share with you about 10 minutes of your time how you can be saved. But most of you in here, I believe, are. You and I do not go off of assumption. We're not asked to go off of our own intellect. We're not asked to just jump into something and, well, it feels right, I'll do it. No. You and I are given this book as a guide in our lives. We no longer go off of our intuition. We go off the Holy Spirit's leading. Some of you ladies are really good with intuition. (laughs) You can read people really quickly. But you think about it, we don't have to go off of that. And so many people today go off of this. Well, I think we should. Honey, how are we going to fix our marriage? Well, let's try it this way. No, go to the book. God gives you every answer. I know it sounds cliche and people disagree with me all the time. You say every answer to life is found in this book? Absolutely. If you take time and study this book and saturate your life in this book, you will find the answers that you're looking for. But most people won't do it because we're too lazy and apathetic. I speak of myself. Now we think about this. You do not have to go in this life off of feeling. You go off of the facts of the Bible. And you follow that as our discerning guide. I often liken the Bible to a tape measure. When the lovely county inspector or city inspector comes onto the job site, they're good people and they're very nice. But when they come on the job site, <laughs> brother, brother Matt and Dad, they're laughing. But uh, What do they come with? Do they come with a tape measure that's different than yours? Absolutely not. That wouldn't be fair. At least they're fair about it. And they come on the job site and they give you the tape. They say, okay, well, here you go. You've got to be this, six foot, whatever it is. They pull out the tape. And, you, and they go, well, you're off about six inches. Okay, well, what happened here? Something's wrong. You go off the same tape measure. And that's what God, one of the comforting things to me that I think about often is when I stand before Christ on that great judgment day, by the way, all of us will. And the Bible says very clearly, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But when we do, he's not going to go, I told you to do this and that. Why didn't you do it? And I'll say, well, Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And the Bible says in Revelation, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which is always referred to as the Bible, a sharp two-edged sword. He's going to judge us out of the book. He said, did you do this? And we'll say, well, I didn't know I was supposed to. And he's going to point to the verse. And that brings comfort to us as Christians because we know that we can successfully live this life according to this book. And you can please God and you can do the will of God according to this book. What a, what a wonderful thing. I'd ask some of you to settle in your hearts today. You, you've spent too many years questioning the Bible. Settle it. This book has outlasted Every other book in human history. This book is claiming of its own self to be inspired of God. To be written with the finger of God. You owe it to yourself to study this book. You owe it to yourself. You need to study this book and find out what God wants you to do. Now, coming back to this and understanding it, is that the Bible clearly tells us that if we'll do it His way, the Lord's way, we'll truly find the success we're looking for. We talked about that a little bit last week. But it's an act of the will. We take and put forth an effort. 
and all the relationships around us will be enhanced and will grow and develop and mature if we as individuals will say, I will act upon this. I don't feel like it. I don't want to say that. I had to sit down with one of my children this last week. Oh, and I hate doing that. And I had to talk to them. And I had to, in fact, apologize to them for what I said and did. I said, honey, I, I apologize. I shouldn't have done that and said that. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Oh, I can't stand doing that. But what happened? Out of it, oh, relief came. And it was a joyous time. As you think about this, that's what he's at, an act of our will. Okay, now it's a new example set for us. It was first true in Christ, we know, and then those who trusted him. Now Jesus set the example in the life he lived. We know that. According to the Bible and the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find Jesus Christ never made a mistake. I've said that many times. I've had several people say, you're wrong on that. And I ask him to show me, where did Christ make a mistake? Jesus was what we call impeccable. That means he was without sin. If Jesus Christ was a man like you and I, and he had sinful blood, sin runs through our bloodstream. If he had that blood, he could not have died on the cross. It would have meant nothing. As many claimed, he was just a good teacher and prophet. He died for nothing. And they feel sorry for him. But if he was sinless and had no sin, and he was who he said he was, the Son of God, and he died on the cross for our sins, then, buddy, you better get right with the Lord and find out what he wants you to do. Because he was the Son of God, and because he did die for our sins. Now, he set the example for us. He was sinless. He lived an impeccable life. He never showed hatred or malice. He hated all sin, but he never hated the sinner. I read the story again just recently there in John chapter 4 when he came to the well and he sat on the well and that woman came. You remember the story? If you listen to what the woman says to Jesus, she is incredibly rude and prejudiced. And he, he just asked, ma'am, could I have a drink of water? Instead of saying, yeah, sure, sure. Handing him the ladle that they gave. Here, take a drink. What does she say? No. How is it that you being a Jew ask me for water? She basically tell him, take a hike. No. What does Jesus respond with? Ma'am, if you knew what I was asking you, you would have not only asked of that, you would have asked me of the water that's living that you'll never thirst again. And she said, well, sarcastically, give me that water that you're talking about. You think about that. Now, we later read in both First and Second Peter, I believe in First John as well, that when he was reviled, he rev was reviled, he reviled not again. When they spit in his face, he didn't retaliate. When they slapped him, now I don't know about you men, I, I'd, I'd rather be punched than slapped. Slapped is an insult, isn't it? They slapped him as an insult. They pulled his beard. They mocked him. They called his mother certain names and his father too. And all that they did, not only that, but all that they later did in persecuting him and then ultimately crucifying this man, we see his example that was set for us to live the life of love. Now, he always went about doing good, the Bible says. Everywhere he went, he sought the benefit of the people around him. Everywhere he went. His disciples at one time came and said, Lord, we're tired, our feet hurt, we're sweating, we, we've done all of this for you, and we're sick and tired of it. What's in it for us? You don't think Jesus was right there with them? He walked every step of every mile with them. Did he complain? No. And one young pompous guy came one time and said, Lord, 
I'll follow you wherever you go. And they said, wow, wow. And again, as we studied on Wednesday, he was a rich young ruler. Three things the world looks for. Wealth, youth, and popularity or power. Rich young ruler. He, that's what it's, he was described as. And he says, here's what you do. Go home and sell all that you have and then come back and follow me. Then you can be my disciple. And it says the young man, instead of doing what Jesus asked him to do, walked away sorrowful because he refused to give up all of his possessions and his worldly pleasures. Now you think about that. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus set the example. Now the twelve apostles in particular were his inner circle, you know that. Those that were with him, they were closest to him, that knew him best. And how are they described in treating Jesus. Well, number one, they all misunderstood him. On at least three different occasions, Jesus told them, fellas, I'm going to the cross. They're going to persecute me, arrest me, and, and throw me up on a cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Three different times. And did they listen? <laughs> no. <laughs> do we listen? Do I listen? No. If you do that, Tim, it's going to, here's the consequences. I do it anyways. Right? You follow through with that. And they said, no, we don't understand that. Let me encourage you with this. You can misunderstand the Lord, but don't desert the Lord. It says they all forsook him and fled, right? They all forsook him. Now, I don't mind you misunderstanding the Bible and the Lord. We all do that. It takes study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved unto God, not man, unto God. A workman, someone who works at it, takes time, invests his time into it that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what a responsibility of every Christian, to study the word and rightly divide it and understand it. Right Now, they under, misunderstood him, one, but then they deserted him. It says they all forsook him and fled. Some broke his heart, some doubted, some denied, some even betrayed him. Even betrayed him. Uh, you'll find this in life, and you know that. Some of the dearest people that you've invested so much time in and, and encouraged them as you could, what do they do? They end up just stabbing you in the back. And that's why our focus is on the Lord. Again, keep your focus on the Lord. I know it's hard. A lot of us are people pleasers. It's hard to do that. But keep your focus on the Lord. And when you do that, you're going to offend people. When you focus on the Lord, you're going to offend people. You must make a decision. Jesus said, you either please me or please man. There's no middle of the road. People try to straddle the fence, as I do so often. Well, if I please these people, and then I, Lord, I'm also trying to please you. Doesn't it always bring trouble? You please the Lord. And a, a statement that helped me so many years ago. When I please Him, I will please everyone I'm supposed to please. You're not going to please everyone. The people you're supposed to please. I please people that don't matter to the neglect of my wife and kids. When I please Him, I'll please everyone I'm supposed to please in my life. Isn't that good? That's helped me so much. So much. But that's what it is. When people misunderstand us, when people will even forsake us or desert us, you know we're supposed to show the love, which is very hard. Easy to say, hard to do. Jesus set the example again in the kinds of people he loved. Well, he loved the, the publicans. These were the hated tax collectors. He loved the sinners. These were immoral men and women. He loved the Pharisees, religious bigots, legalists. And above all, he loved his enemies. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Can you go there with me? Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. I love turning in the Bible, looking at these verses. And I encourage you to mark in your Bible, 
write verses in there or thoughts that come to mind as you're reading. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what he says in verse 1. And you, well, who's he talking to? <laughs> Hath he quickened. That word quickened, again, remember, means made alive. Okay, he made us alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, plural, sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, or this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now notice verse 4. Circle this verse. But God. You know, God initiates things. Isn't that wonderful? But God. We just saying this. Such love, such wondrous love. How could He love a sinner such as I? I'm going this way. I have no clue of what I'm supposed to do. No clue of God's love. No clue of the, the impending doom of hell that I'm walking towards. And here comes God and stops me. <laughs> now we have the ability to walk over that. God's given us something called our free will. We can walk over that. But if you'll stop where God stopped you and said, Wow, but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. Can you see that? Amazing. He says in Romans 5:8, but God commendeth, that word means demonstrated, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't after you cleaned yourself up, sir, ma'am. You got yourself right. That's what I thought. When I, before I got saved and right with I thought I cleaned myself up. You know, I stopped doing those things. I got rid of all those habits. I stopped the carousing around, the messing around. I did all that. I put that away. Now I'm right, Lord, right? There's a problem. Outside I'm good. Internally I'm not good, though. The only person that can save me is Christ. Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So we see here. Amazing. He set the example. The enemies that we are and were, he set the example. But God, an initiating, a, a, an act that we have, we put forth. People aren't going to love you back, but will you love them anyways? See that? They won't love you back. They're not going to respond with a thank you and a God bless and hallelujah. I mean, at least tell me to take a hike or jump in the lake or something. They don't even say that. They're not going to respond to you in love. It takes the Christian who's mature to say, I'm going to love anyways, as Jesus did. But God did. Can you imagine where you'd be today without the Lord? Can you imagine where you would be, where you should be, where you should be? Oh, friends, we're so blessed. Jesus Christ is the standard of love for every Christian. I warn you again, and I'm warning myself, Social media will kill your, your walk with the Lord. We ought to be posting Bible verses and, and sharing our photos with families and friends and all of that. That's good stuff. But it brings comparison. And when comparison comes into the life of a believer, Paul says comparison is not good. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. It is. And I think about that so often. We're so consumed with that. Looking at people and what they're doing, how they're... And, and everyone's always got something bigger, better, and brighter. And I say it often. It's such a lie, isn't it? 
You got a guy on social media, he's, he's, I just got done working out at the gym, you know. No, you didn't. You just woke up, you know. <laughs> Some girl, and you see the family's just so perfect. And I said it a while back, but we tried to take family photos at uh, Christmas time. And we got together. I said, okay, kids, everyone get together. And we put the phone up there, you know, because we didn't have money to go get real ones. But we put, put the phone up on the timer, you know. And, and I said, every, the kids wouldn't listen. It was all a mess. And the dogs were trying. We're going to get the dogs in and everything else. It was a horrible mess. And guess what? Right before the photo took, what were we doing? I was yelling at all the kids. Shut up and sit still. Now, go ahead. You know, <laughs> this, took, and we took the picture. Kids were crying. Literally, two of them were crying. And I said, wipe the tears and just smile for a second. Oh, they went. It smelled. Isn't that how it is? And we mailed out this postcard to everybody, and oh, we got responses. Beautiful. That's so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's how it goes. Oh, that's how it is, isn't it? The comparison, though, again, coming back to comparing ourselves, he's the standard of love. It don't feel good. I don't like it when people don't respond properly. But I look at that and say, Lord, I'll do it for you. Okay, let me hasten and I'll wrap it up here. Thank you. You're listening so well. Thank you. One more here. It's a new experience. It's a new experience. Okay, now let's go to 1 John 2. Keep going towards the back of your Bible. 1 John 2. I appreciate you bringing your Bibles today. 1 John 2. And I want you to see this. Well, it's a new experience for us. 1 John 2, we looked at last week, but I want to emphasize today as well as we see 1 John chapter 2. If you would go down to verse number 8, 1 John 2, 8. And again, he says, A new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and true light now shineth. He says, you're different. You now walk in the light. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. There is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hateth his brother is in darkness. Walketh in darkness, knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Okay, so we saw this a little bit last week, but seeing the new experience it brings. Well, disobedience brings darkness to us. We know that. A Christian who hates someone is living in darkness, verse 9. The man or woman who hates is a stumbling block, in fact, he says in verse 10. A Christian who hates is one who loses his own way, verse 11. (coughs) Excuse me. And we see that. Now, we see as we walk in the light, a new light, a new commandment. Now, Jesus refers to this in the great Sermon on the Mount. He says, what? Let your light so shine before men. We sing the song with the kids, right? Uh, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. Don't let Satan blow it out. There's a light, right? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Not works for salvation, but what? After we're saved. We're studying this in our Bible Institute. Really fascinating. That it's not a works for salvation. We work because of salvation. Now we're saved, we want to work and show our good works to bring others to a saving knowledge, to bring them to the light. Now, again, we said last week here, here's the condemnation. That light has been revealed, but men see the light and reject the light and love their sin too much. To, they want to abide in their sin and what's referred to as darkness. And he says, here's the condemnation. The light's been revealed, but you've rejected the light and you've preferred to live in darkness. I asked one man, I said this before, pardon my repetition, but I said, you need to be saved. He said, no, I couldn't be saved. I've sinned too much. 
You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing right now. I, I sinned too much. And I said, that's not what's going to condemn you. What's going to condemn you is your rejection of the light. See, it doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. Praise the Lord for that. What is it? It's our acceptance of the gospel. It's our acceptance of the light. And the light's shown to us. We say, okay, Lord, I accept the light. It's called a gift in the New Testament. The, the saving gospel. It's a gift. When you receive a gift, what do you do? You simply reach out and take it. You don't say, well, can I give you 20 bucks for it? No, why? It offends the giver. No, no, no. It's a gift. <laughs> I purchased the gift with my own money, my own paycheck. I took $20 out of that paycheck and went and bought you a gift because I want to be a blessing to you. That's what it is. Jesus says it's a gift. And the arm that reaches out and takes that gift is called faith. You have to believe. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He was perfect. He was sinless. Therefore, He could. And all of the sin fell upon Jesus Christ as He hung on that cross. Now we take it as a gift. We reach out and receive it. Do I work for it? No. You simply accept it. I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't. So the darkness is there, but the obedience is the light. Christian love keeps us in the light. Verse 10 again. He abideth in the light. He that loves his brother. He that loves his brother. There's none occasion of stumbling. Most people stumble in life because they walk in darkness. We, we laughed about this the other night, but again, we, for some reason, those little Legos are all over the floor all the time. I mean, what in the world? And you walk out in the middle of the night and step right on one. Oh, you know, you got to be quiet. I hate those things. They're all over the place and they hurt. Uh, you think about that. You stumble in the darkness. We know that. Very clear. You stumble in the dark. Obedience is light. Christian love keeps us from being stumbling blocks. Did you know, according to the Old Testament, a blind man was to carry a light when he walked out at night? According to the Bible? See, that's kind of stupid. Why would a blind man carry a light? Why? Not for himself, for other people. Because a blind man would walk right into something, right into another person. He carried it for someone else. Isn't that a good picture for us? A blind man carried the light and said, here I am. I'll let you know I'm walking down the trail. And a person who could see also carried a light, but it's called a lamp. And a lamp was a small little glass lamp, like the old timers used. And it gave off very little light. But they would often tie it to their ankle. And they'd walk at night like this. Not to see out yards away, but what? To see just the next step. And that's why the Bible refers to in Psalms, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. A lot of people want to know, Lord, show me all of my life. Show me everything that's going to happen. He says, no, you can't handle it. Here's what I will give you. I'll give you the Bible to live day by day by day, step after step. Now, you can handle that, can't you? Step by step. I want to know what you want me to do, Lord, 15 years from now. He says, no, you can't handle it. How about 15 minutes from now? Okay. <laughs> what do I do? Just obey the word. Follow it. Step by step. Walking. Now, again, okay, I'll wrap it up here. Christian love keeps us growing spiritually. Keeps us growing. Romans 12, verse 10 says, We prefer one another. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Preference. Giving people preference. What do you want? What would you like to do? Here, you go first. We're to be in the same mind. Same mind. We're to uh, not to judge one another. We live, leave the judgment to God. Man says, no man can judge me. That's true. But there is a person who will judge you. And we have to be careful about that. 
And the Bible says, Paul says, if you would judge yourselves, God doesn't have to judge you. Judge yourself. Okay, that's probably not what I should do. I shouldn't say that. I, shouldn't go. I know I shouldn't do that. If we'll just take care of it, examine yourselves, he says. Take a little inventory. Are you where you're supposed to be? Okay. Many verses here. Let me continue here. We're to receive one another. We're to admonish one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. You know that. We're to edify one another. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Edify one another, even as also ye do. 1 Thessalonians 5. So this love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling that we talk about in the world. It's a chosen response. The first time love is mentioned in the New Testament is in response to our enemies. Matthew 5, in verse 43 through 48, he's talking about loving our enemies. That's not a feel-good feeling. Right? We tend to hate them, but we're cho- we choose to love them as Christ commands. So we see that. Okay, let me close out this morning with Ephesians 4 and verse 29. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go there, Ephesians 4, 29. If you will. Now, this is very interesting as Paul writes here to the church. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Here's the emphasis. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And why do I do that? For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Now, we use that as a filler term or a, a, really a foul language. People say, oh, for Christ's sake. I wish they would apply that because it is for Christ's sake. Everything I do is for Christ's sake. How can I love the unlovable for Christ's sake? How can I be what I'm supposed to be in the midst of all that I've lived before and the, the sinful life? How can I change now? For Christ's sake, he'll, he'll do it. He'll work through you. If you just reach out by faith and say, God, I want that. I want that. My friends, I think it's time in our lives that we get right with the Lord and say, Lord, it's about time. I say this before and I say it often, but a lot of us, don't, we don't have time. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. Everything in this world is about time, T-I-M-E, time. And it fascinates me, it blows my mind that the God of no time, the God of eternality, that's no time, puts a time limit on his creation. The clock is winding down, if you haven't noticed, not only in our own individual lives, but in this world. And we don't have a lot of time left. We ought to get right with the Lord. Find out what God wants you to do and do it. You've tried it long enough on your own. You've tried to live your own life, your own way, and you found the result of that. And we come back to this book. I'd encourage you to spend time in this book this week. Spend time in prayer. You say, I'm not good at praying. I don't pray often. I'm not good at that. Just start doing it. Prayer is just simply talking to God. Obviously in a reverent way, but you're talking to God. The Bible is then God speaking back to us. And it's a wonderful relationship if you've never had it before. My friends, today I'm preaching to myself. We ought to love the way God loves as Jesus Christ set the example for you and for me. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this morning again for these here that have been so faithful. I thank you for them listening so intently, so uh, uh, seriously, Lord. And I appreciate your love for us, God. We can't in no way ever repay what you've done for us. But you've asked us to simply, by faith, accept the gift that you've given to us. Then, Lord, after we've done that, to live our lives in your steps, following your example, walking the best way we can. We're not going to do it 
perfect and right all the time. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. But Lord, you said there's forgiveness with you and we can walk and please you as we're supposed to. Thank you for this morning to be in your word. I pray you'd help each one of us this week to spend time in the Bible, spend time in prayer, to really search our hearts and say, Lord, where am I at? My day were to come this week where you'd call me home. I want to be right with you. I pray for that. Anyone here today knows you not as their personal Savior. I pray they'd handle that. I'd love to take the Bible and show them. Guide us, though, Lord, the rest of our day in Jesus' name. And amen.